Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. More coverage is coming up from the Christian Product Expo Winter 2021 show in Charlotte, North Carolina. But first, you'll be hearing some comments from Mark Clark of the Village Church with multiple locations in Canada. He shares some perspective on the reality and authenticity of Jesus. Then, Joe McGuffin is a Bible teacher who focuses in on wholeness in Christ. At the Winter 2021 CPE event, she shared with me some parallels between Israel's deliverance from Egypt and how God wants to deliver us. Some material from that conversation is coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection, it's Gordon Greenhill who spoke with me at CPE also. He has transitioned from the world of academia into writing young adult fiction, which aims to present examples of critical thinking through his characters, embracing a Christian worldview perspective. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, Jeremy Dice of First Liberty spoke with me recently, offering a look back at some of the attempts to protect religious freedom in the midst of COVID-19 restrictions. Highlights from that conversation are ahead. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Mark Clark is the founding pastor of The Village Church, a multi-site church based in Canada, and in a recent conversation, he discussed his book, The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. Here now from that conversation is Mark Clark. We just call it the prodigal son parable because we focus on the, you know, the secular e-religious brother who, you know, took his dad's money and went off and did bad things. And then he came to the end of himself and he came back and, you know, the father runs out and hugs him and then sermon over. The problem is, is that there's another brother and the scandal of the story is the other brother is the religious brother, the brother who did everything his dad commanded. Mm. He always he always went to church. He always, and at the end of that story, he's the one left out of the party. And so Jesus is going around telling these scandalous stories. So there's going to be people who grow up and they, they don't make the faith their own, and they might drift off or they might become skeptical or they might read some books or go to a first-year philosophy class or a history class and begin to develop doubts about Christianity, and this book would uh, help bring them back into the fold. That's part of my heart, is when we started our church, what we started seeing was unchurched people and de-churched people show up. Hmm. Because I just, you know, when you start a church in Canada, everyone just tells you, you got to get up and tell everybody, you know, hey, they're good, they're good people, and, you know, sorry. And I was like, well, that's boring. So I was like, you know, I would just preach <laughs> verse by verse through the Bible. It takes me three years to get through a Bible book. We just did Matthew, three and a half years. And it's like, I just tell people to repent, tell people they're sinful, tell them they're the common denominator and the dis- disasters of their own life. But don't worry, Jesus is the hero. And people start, we started with 16 people in my house. And then people started to show up and meet Jesus and get their marriages changed and get their addictions freed and get their life back on our, and the church just kind of started to grow. And part of the reason for that is because unchurched people, people who are skeptical of faith started seeing that the Bible was legit. Jesus was legit. According to history, philosophy, literature, psychology, he was the best idea in the marketplace of ideas. And then de-church people, people who had lost their faith started coming back and they started to get reignited and that's the whole spirit behind the problem of Jesus is what to address all of those groups who become skeptical in some way and go, this is Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth giving up your life for. 
you use that word legit. So how do you communicate in this book the problem of Jesus that, well, he can be trusted. He's legit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do a chapter on um, the Gospels and how they work and why scholars, you know, uh, on the left and the right actually trust the Gospels. Even though, because obviously you got to trust the Gospels if you're going to. If they're just fairy tales and made up legends, then we're not going to believe them, which is what skeptics tend to say. Um, or you know, I met someone on the street the other day. They're like, "Well, Jesus doesn't even exist." And I'm like, "Well, okay." There's a lot of people who are actually saying that these days. So I dug into the scholarship and I show why he existed. There was ten people outside the Bible, and I put the quotes in the book. Here's what they're saying about Jesus and Pontius Pilate and the fact that he did miracles. Um, and so, you know, and then you can work backwards from the resurrection and, and all the, and I, I have a chapter on that, all the evidence for the resurrection. And then you work backwards from there and realize that the early church wasn't making this stuff up. They weren't being tortured for a lie they made up, you know. Um, and so you, you realize that there's a profound historical legitimacy to Christianity. Because here's the thing about Christianity that makes it so different. Here's the thing about Jesus. Other religions are philosophies of life. The main center point of, of Christianity is not teachings necessarily. Jesus' teachings, of course, are wonderful. They're mm -hmm. amazing. But without the resurrection, they're just a set of teachings in the marketplace of different religious ideas. And so the main center thing about Christianity, which I love because it makes it super vulnerable, is a historical moment, the resurrection, that if it can be proven true, Christianity is over. So the bones of Jesus. If we find the bones of Jesus, it's all over because mm. he was a liar, right? And so I, you know, I, I find that fascinating because it's all, I, I heard this uh, story one day of a, of a Baptist church that was having a big membership meeting, and uh, they all got together, and the guy didn't like the fact that they were playing the drums. And so they were kind of having that debate, and the guy stood up and he said, if Jesus knew we were playing drums in church, he'd be rolling over in his grave. And it's like, oh. dude, if, if Jesus is rolling over in his grave, we've got bigger problems. Yeah, that's dirt. true. That's you know? true. <laughs> so what I love <laughs> about Christianity is this moment that can be, if it's proven wrong, then Christianity's out. No other religion lends itself to that kind of vulnerability. And that's where everything stems from that. The teachings of Jesus, the, the paradigm of discipleship that he lays out that I talk about, um, and so, yeah, I think it's vulnerable, but I think that's a beautiful thing. I think why it can be trusted. Mark Clark here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website, theproblemofgod.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Joe McGuffin, the author of the book, Calling the Church Out of Egypt, You Have Been Delivered, Jesus is Alive, Live Loved, Live Well, Live Him. At the Winter 2021 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte, she shared principles with me from the book related to freedom in Christ. Here now from that conversation is Joe McGuffin. I bring out the deception of the world with holistic health, with psychology, with a lot of the humanism, the spiritism, the new age, um, things that are happening that are enticing people that are believers. And just like with Pharaoh, the um, sorcerers, they were able to do magic. They were able to produce the snakes, but God was superior. And I think that today is what's happening is we have replaced God that other things have become expert or superior to the word of God and people aren't planted in the word of God. And I believe that's really the, the crux of everything is I put so much of the word of God in this book that that's what people say 
I am so thankful that it's got the word, but it's the word that is life. It's the word that's a person. It's the word that transforms our mind and renews our mind and grows us in him. It's the word, John 6, 63 says, Jesus says, the things that I'm telling you, these are spirit and life because he's life. And it's, you know, it's without being in the word, we don't know the word. And so we're just, many times believers will just believe anything that's going to make it better or make it well or make something um, have a spiritual experience and they don't realize, wait a minute, that's not God that you're following. And so we go back to the very basics. Jesus really is enough. It doesn't matter what the issue is. Jesus is always the answer. Um, we are. We get people off medications. We get people just back to what did Jesus do for you at the cross? And back to what you were saying, Bob, is we don't recognize. And that's Philippians 6. God addresses that. He says that our faith, when we're sharing our faith, becomes effective when we acknowledge the things that we have in Jesus Christ. And we don't realize what we have, his presence, his word. We have the fullness of a brand new spirit. We have all of those things in us and wants to be expressed through us. But we choose. We always choose. And so that's where we are today. And my hope is to persuade people to choose Jesus. Hmm. And now you gave a reference from the book of Philippians. What was that? Uh, Philemon. Phile okay, Philemon, Philemon, verse 6. Verse 6. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we, we look at, and, and you are sharing, of course, there are so many different areas where we are finding that there are spiritual roots Spiritual deficiencies can manifest themselves in all sorts of ways, whether it be mental and emotional. You talk about people that are thinking about taking their own lives, and you think about some of the other uh, physical expressions that are directly related to spiritual ideas or, or spiritual deficiencies. I mean, we think about today, and, and this was even before the pandemic, but I think it's been really heightened during it, but you have so much fear and anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. Well, those things, in fact, Jesus taught about the topic of anxiety mm -hmm. and, and gave the antidote in the Sermon on the Mount. So when we have a spiritual deficiency, that can manifest itself in all sorts of ways. And that's why it's important that we go back to the sufficiency of God's word. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's one of the things that um, even though we really have a healing freedom ministry, we rarely pray for the physical problem because that takes care of itself when the heart's right. And Jesus wants our heart, but so does Satan. They want our heart, and that's our will, our emotions, um, in our mind. And so that's really where the battle is, our soul. And that's where everybody is, is trying to get our soul. But mm. God wants it. Joe McGuffin here on The Intersection. She serves as Executive Director of Development of Zoe Healing Center in Edmond, Oklahoma. And the website address is Zoe, Z-O-E, HealingCenter.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by visiting the website meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. Also through that homepage, there's a link to the podcast. You can find the iTunes link there as well. 
Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Witter 2021 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit faithradio.org. Scroll over the word programming and you'll see a drop down with one of the selections, The Meeting House. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcasts when you go to Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Moving on now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's young adult fiction writer Gordon Greenhill at the Winter 2021 CPE Show in Charlotte, discussed his approach to writing fiction with a Christian element and highlighted his book, Flight of the Sky Cricket, the first in the series, The Relics of Eris. Here now from that conversation is Gordon Greenhill. When we moved away from the teaching career and I began to look at other things and look at other opportunities, um, I just kept writing. And uh, lo and behold, people continue to tell me there's, it's, it's a narrative, but there's a lot more going on in it. You know, when you begin to drill down the, the themes and subtext of the story, is, it's almost beyond a middle schooler. Uh, it has that sort of, you know, 1950s Warner Brother cartoons. You know, the children watch it, but the adults laugh the hardest. <laughs> yes, um, yes. It, there's a bit of that going on in the book, and that's probably one of the most enjoyable parts of it, is writing it for adults, even though it's being marketed to middle schoolers. Well, you have the the theme or the, the series name, The Relics of Eris. Mm-hmm. So how much of a Lewis stamp do you think is on this work? My reviewers tell me it's pretty heavy. <laughs> uh, as it, as is often the case with hey, the first work of fiction, or yeah. first work, you know, you're still your voice is developing and growing, and so certainly in this one, it's about three little girls from North Carolina who find themselves uh, lost in a world of fairies and dwarfs. Now, if that doesn't scream a bit Narnia reflective uh, to y- you, yeah. But I thought that classic quest narrative structure um, was just a great way to get at some of the themes I wanted to get at in this book. So as you as you began to develop the story, tell me just a bit about what these young girls encountered. Sure. They, uh, well, I spent about a, almost a year building the world before I actually put pen to paper on the story because wow. I had I'm enough of a Tolkien fan to know that that's how you're supposed. <laughs> I didn't I didn't develop yep. any Elven languages behind it, but you know, <laughs> but no, they find themselves in this yeah. world of fairies and dwarfs and things. But the the shtick is that for the people in that world. Uh, fairies and dwarfs are as common as hippopotamuses and giraffes are to us, so they don't think of them as magical or mythological. They're merely the science of their world. So while these girls are, are thinking magic and mythology, everyone in that world, is it's merely science. And so as they go on this quest trying to find their way home, they're challenged to ask questions uh, uh, surrounding belief and evidence and what constitutes good evidence. Who's, who's speaking truth? And is belief something, or when is belief something that you choose to give, and when is belief something that seems to happen to you from the outside? So there's that deep thread, we would call it epistemology in, mm. in the theological world, that these middle schoolers are having to sort of think about, but at, at the level of the imagination that they're, they're able to grasp. Gordon Greenhill is joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio. He is the author of the young adult fantasy fiction book called Flight of the Sky Cricket, the first volume in the Relics of Eris series. 
This is The Meeting House here on Non-Commercial Faith Radio, the Christian Product Expo in Charlotte. So you, you talk about this, this fantasy, and I think the word is used, quest. Yes. That these, these three young ladies move into. They come into a world that is, well, not their own, and they begin to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about that, the two words, critical thinking. Yes came to mind. So it sounds like to me that these characters are engaging in something that, well, young people should be doing and should be encouraged to do in their lives, and that is to ask good questions and implement some critical thinking skills. And for Christian young people, really trying to apply a Christian worldview perspective. But the the questions kept coming. But did the answers uh, come as well in this book. Well, this is, and that's the thing, is they listen to the various characters. There's the priests of the old monotheism that's well out of fashion. There's the pious knight who's a kind of a polytheist. And uh, there's the mad scientist in his flying boat who doesn't believe anything his eyes can't see. They find themselves lost in the middle of it on the quest, and the quest is going to reveal whether or not what all of these people are talking about really exists or not. Hmm. And actually, I have to kind of leave that a little unstated for the sake of the spoiler at the end. Right. But I will say this, the second volume is coming out in a couple of, uh, within a couple of months, and the themes of that one are going to pivot and be more related to uh, family and identity and belonging and uh, where is home if nobody wants you, that sort of thing. So each of the books are going to tackle a bit of a... Um, a bit of a question that I think middle schoolers wrestle with, and particularly right now during this, un, you know, times of upheaval, <laughs> yes. um, that they're going to, it's going to challenge their mind, it's going to challenge their heart, and they're going to think thoughts. And the book was written intentionally, I mean, it's written by a Christian, but I, um, a lot of its delivery is going into public school, middle schools. And so the messages are not overt, they're subtle, and yeah. they're meant to ask questions. And so I, I, I hope that audiences from a wide variety of backgrounds, religious and even non-religious, will pick it up and begin to ask these questions. Gordon Greenhill here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to gordongreenhill.com or relicsofarrus.com. Well, finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Jeremy Dice, Special Counsel for Litigation and Communications at First Liberty Institute. In our conversation, he discussed a recent favorable U.S. Supreme Court ruling allowing churches to meet indoors with limited capacity in that state and provided an overview of restrictions placed on houses of worship related to the coronavirus. Here now from that conversation is Jeremy Dice. What's interesting is that what has happened in this case most recently is really indicative of what we've experienced over the last 300 and some odd days of 14 days or 15 days to slow the spread. (laughs) Uh, and, and so it, it's yep. interesting. Over the weekend, the Supreme Court said maybe uh, you didn't get it, local officials there in California, but we've now spoken on this issue. The Supreme Court has now spoken on this issue multiple times, most recently as of, I think, February 6th or 5th, where the court uh, turned over a restriction uh, on on a on a county or the state of California for, uh, you know, not allowing anybody to be able to gather more than, I think, 10 or so, so people. I don't think even the 12 disciples could meet in California legally these days <laughs> if they had wanted to. Uh, but in, in Santa Clara County, what was very interesting here is, is it followed the pattern that we saw so often over the past year, where the county and local health officials would insist upon you know, absolutely restrictive measures to present, pre- prevent um, uh, contamination in that area. And people were kind of like, hey, well, look, we get it. We understand. We need to stay uh, alert and aware of these things. 
but ultimately they would, uh, you know, uh, try to expand those over time and maybe wonder someday that they would have more freedom than they would. But they really stayed hard on those. Well, then the church decided to follow a lawsuit. And when they filed a lawsuit, the local officials decided to kind of expand the, the, the limitations a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if they were following the science on that or just faced some legal pressure to expand the science instead, uh, but they would <laughs> relax those restrictions, and, and then the lawsuit would become a bit moot. And then as soon as the lawsuit was moot, they would reimpose the more harsh restrictions. Well, that happened in this case uh, just even this last month that they did that three or four times until the, the, the parties finally got exasperated enough to file a, an emergency appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States, and the Supreme Court, in its own, only in the terse way that they could, uh, said our holding in South Bay, which was offered in the beginning of February, should control here. You should have followed it, basically. <laughs> and uh, it, it finally made permanent, the restrict, uh, laid to rest permanently the restrictions that uh, the county put on and imposed upon these churches outside of what was allowed by the Supreme Court. Uh, and so I, I say all of that to say this. We've seen over the last year a couple of things. Number one, uh, local officials working their level best to restrict religious liberty as harshly as possible, sometimes without a, a scintilla of evidence or science on their side, only the proclamation that science somehow controls. Uh, and, and yet they've seen a repeated efforts to, to control its population in what we otherwise know as the First Amendment and the free exercise of religion. And yet, in spite of all of that, we have seen the First Amendment controlling even still. It's not like the Constitution handed in a doctor's note on March 16 of last year and took the rest of the year off. It still controls, mm. and it's taken repeated lawsuits to remind our elected officials that they must act, even for the public health, in a way that respects the religious liberty of its people. That's the first thing. The second thing I think it's shown us here is how many times uh, local officials uh, would just simply withdraw the restrictions in the face of a lawsuit. We saw that just recently there in Santa Clara County in California, but I, I've seen that by Governor Newsom. I've seen it by Governor Pritzker in Illinois, Governor Cuomo in uh, New York. Uh, even Mayor de Blasio, in some respects, has even uh, tried to kind of shift the goalpost to avoid being held accountable in a court of, of law. Uh, and so it reminds me, and it tells me this, that what Justice Gorsuch said in the South Bay opinion at the beginning of February that these local officials uh, claiming that these are temporary restrictions, he says, has put freedom constantly around the corner, as if it's this carrot dangling out in front of us that we're never quite able to grasp in our mouths or in our hands. Instead, it is something that is, it, we're told it's temporary, but after 300-some days of a temporary restriction on a otherwise civil and constitutional right, something has got to become permanent. And, and we need to resolve that. So I'm grateful that things are going in the right direction, and I'm eager for them to move more quickly in the right direction of preserving and defending religious liberty for all Americans. Jeremy Dice here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to first, spell it out, firstliberty.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. Also, there's a link to The Intersection Podcast from the homepage, and there's a link to the iTunes feed for the podcast. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. 
Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.